0: Welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. From piecing to quilting and everything in between, this podcast brings you tips and techniques from the experts and fun stories from quilters just like you. Hey everyone and welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. I'm Ashley Huff and today our special guest is Mary Hurdle. So Mary, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi, hi everyone i am um a paper piecing pattern designer i live in oshkosh wisconsin and i have been designing patterns and books for the past uh seven years Mm -hmm. and enjoying it immensely perfect perfect well so you've been doing that for seven
0: years but do you remember say the first time you were in front of a sewing machine or your first sewing or quilting memory
1: oh yes i do um Actually, my mother and grandmother were both very good at sewing. My grandmother had one of the old treadle machines, which I actually never even got to try to use. But my mother had the old Viking that was, it basically went forwards and backwards. That was mm-hmm. it. But that's yep. all we needed in those days. And <clears throat> I pretty much just learned to sew from watching her. I've always been a visu- a very visual learner. I've mm-hmm. never really taken a formal class in sewing I just um, learn by trying and doing and watching others and I'm always pretty self-taught in everything so I really started out just sewing clothes at about the age of third grade Mm -hmm. whatever age that is maybe not I remember taking some class well I took 4-H and they had like a sewing segment with that where you make the little triangle scarf you know with the fringe on like the brady before but um i could just look at my mother's even when i was in the third grade the first things i remember sewing were barbie doll clothes and i would look at my mother's patterns and on the back it would show little pictures of each piece they don't do that anymore but they used to do it that way so for like pants you'd see how each piece was shaped and I would lay my Barbie doll on a piece of paper and draw that shape around her and sew her pants and coats and dresses. And I had the most well dressed Barbie doll uh, in the whole neighborhood. The weird thing is, I never really played doll. I just wanted to sew. I just wanted you were to. You're like the doll designer. Right? You know? I just wanted to design. And yeah. that was my fun with, with the Barbie. But those were my you did- memories.
0: Did you find that? Because I have never made doll clothes, and the smallest thing I've ever made is a Halloween costume for my two-year-old. So I can't imagine the the size. I
1: mean, it's teeny tor- tiny. It's torturous because you have okay. to try to pull, you know, those little tiny sleeves after you've sewn the seams. But some of it, um, I actually did by hand, and mm-hmm. then of course, because you are only in the third grade, your fingers are smaller, and I was probably okay. a really good age to manipulate that tiny stuff, but. I yeah. really want to go back to Barbie doll sewing. It is really tiny. Yeah. Yeah, really tiny.
0: And the well, bar- I have to say like I I applaud your your patience too at that t- at point. I mean, I don't even know that I'd have the patience for that now, let alone in third grade. So that's awesome.
1: That that was our entertainment really, but I was, you know, of the family, I probably my mother sewed all of our clothes and she would I remember she would take an outfit that she did like, like an apron or a dress, and she would cut it apart or take the seams out of it and lay Mm -hmm. it down on newspaper and make her own patterns from pre-existing things that she liked the way they fit. Yeah. And that was my introduction to, you know, you don't need a pattern. And I just grew up thinking, uh, who would ever buy a pattern when you can just create your own?
0: Perfect. Well, so going off of, you know, why would someone buy a pattern? Cause you can create your own, but now you do create patterns. I so, <laughs> but well, they're obviously much different. They're not doll clothes, doll clothes patterns. Um, do you remember the first pattern you created?
1: Yes. The the first okay. paper pieced pattern yeah. was, um <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I was an art teacher for 35 years. And then when I retired from that, I started working part-time in a quilt store And at the time, I also learned how to paper piece. It was about 2013. And that was the first time I really did any paper piecing. And it just right away grabbed me because I just absolutely love putting uh, puzzles together. And for me, it's like a puzzle. You're just adding your pieces and eventually you have your finished product. And I love how the paper piecing creates an image that's actually sewn. It's not just applied to the top of the quilt. It's actually a part of the quilt. So um, I was intrigued by it right away. And and what I did, um, we were getting Wisconsin Shop Hop fabrics in, and I had just started working there. And I said, I think I'm going to create a pattern for the store using that fabric. And I did a go pack pillowcase for the Packers. Mm-hmm. We're huge Green Bay Packer fans here. And um, I mean, the pattern just sold like crazy, like hundreds of them. And so I thought, you know, maybe there's a market for this. And I was also noticing when I went online to find other paper piecing patterns, there really wasn't much except tiny. And they always advertised it as paper piecing is so great to make tiny things. And my thought was, well, why can't it make big things, too, or regular size blocks? And so that's really what I specialized in. Um, Most of my blocks are, you know, eight by eight inches square square. And they're like perfect size for a potholder, or you can make it into a pillow, or, or you can make a bunch into a quilt. So um, that's pretty much how I got started with, with designing patterns. And now I have over 300 patterns and five books. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. And I haven't had have that many.
1: Since 2013, it's it's grown.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I would say. Do you have a favorite, then, of all the ones that you've created?
1: A favorite pattern? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, probably the, the dogs only or the cats and dogs. Um, it's also my best sellers are with animals, uh, especially dogs, you know, because people love their pets so much, but that one, it just, I love the expression so much and it's been very popular.
0: Perfect. Okay. Do you put all of your patterns eventually into books or I guess what, what patterns make it into books? What are the books? Kind of talk about those.
1: Sure. Um, books are generally contracted with um, c and publishing. And so I will come up with, you know, an idea and have create about 16 to 20 different blocks that re- rotate around that theme. And then those those kinds of patterns I create specifically for books. And of course, I cannot sell them except through the books because there's a publisher involved. But um All of my patterns are eventually listed on Etsy, as are the books, or, you know, the books can be purchased anywhere online, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere, quilt stores. But any, you know, they're just kind of different entities, because things that are in a book are only going to be sold in the book. And then the 300 patterns I have on Etsy right now, they range from quilt patterns to table topper patterns to just single blocks so the price range goes anywhere from you know uh twelve dollars to three dollars for patterns right so um there's quite a nice variety
0: perfect well so I have a couple follow-up questions because you mentioned that you you have projects or I guess blocks that don't always go into quilts but would you say when you're making something what do you normally turn your paper piece blocks into is it quilts is it table
1: runners all kinds okay. of things i've got pillows table runners table toppers baby bibs backpacks hand towels tote bags pillowcases anything i've done christmas stockings the trick is to figure out how to get that eight by eight square into another shape like if you're doing it in a table or no big deal if you're doing mm-hmm. it in a christmas tree or a a, a Christmas stocking, you've got to add some other you know pattern pieces around it to get the shape you need. So uh, that's always a, a fun challenge for me. And then sometimes I'm just designing um, at customers' whims. They will email me and say, you know, I need an otter. Could you design a pattern for it? And I I generally do not charge anything to customers to do that service because mm-hmm. I feel if one customer wants it, there are probably ten others that want it too. I'll just design it and then I'll list it and I'll send them the link. And if they like it, they buy it as just a block and then they can write into whatever they want. That way I have complete control over the designing process, which I like. And as soon as someone pays you to design something, they become part of the designing team because they've got money involved in it right and right that, and they can say oh make this little change right. here make this yeah right and uh-huh. I really like to design the way I want to design and if they like it that's great and if not they're not out any money and you know right. generally they love it and they buy it right away anyway so and then it's just becomes part of the pattern repertoire on Etsy
0: yeah that's awesome that was actually going to be one of my my follow-up questions was if you had people request certain things and If so, like what has been either the most requested thing or maybe the most obscure requested
1: design? uh, I've got an answer for that. The most requested are dog breeds. Okay. I never realized how many different dog breeds there are. And every customer wants their, like an Italian Greyhound, not just a Greyhound, but an Italian Greyhound or whatever. I've got now over 60 different dog breeds listed on Etsy. So you could make a quilt with... You know, very specific. So many dogs. dogs, yeah. In it, the strangest request I ever, I ever had for a dog was a Chinese crested, which at the time oh, I yeah. never heard of. And I asked them if it was a bird, and they said, "No, no, it's, <laughs> it's a hairless dog." And it turned out to be one of my favorite designs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the strangest regular item I ever had requested was a safety pin. I thought oh, really? Okay. Kind of odd and and unusual because it's such skinny pieces. Yeah. It wasn't the easiest thing to do in paper pieces. Do you
0: ever follow up with those who request designs to see, like, what did you want the safety pin for? Or what did you end up yeah. making with it?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time. Actually, every customer I request photos from if they want to share them. And a lot of people just love to show what they've done. So it's yeah. an easy request. Uh, so what did the safety pin It was for to? a baby, something for a baby quilt.
0: Okay, okay, that makes sense. That's quilt. cute.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, well, so back to books real quick, because you have a new book coming out. So can you tell us a little bit about
1: that? I actually have two new books coming out. Oh, wow. Um, okay. The first one is coming in June. It's called So Magical. It uh-huh. I designed it. It is really a, an awesome book because it's kind of on the coattails of um, all the very mystical things that you see on TV right now, like Game of Thrones. It's kind mm-hmm. of based on that only you know, in a, in a slightly obscure way, but it it was actually a request of the publishers that the editors were asking if I would be interested in doing something mystical. And I had just submitted in one of my other books, I had submitted some gnomes and they were very intrigued by the gnome patterns. And that's why they said, would you like to do a whole book on mm-hmm. mystical things? And I said, Oh my goodness, I'd love it. That's such a good idea. And it's so timely So we Mm -hmm. immediately threw that book in the forefront. So I got that done. And that's going to be, um, I think it's 24 different, well, it's it's 16 different images. But these images aren't just square. Some of them are rectangular because, you know, like a dragon, you need a longer block. So it would be Mm -hmm. like two blocks put together. Um, And I have everything from wizards to princess, um, a knight in shining armor, a castle, dragons, um gotcha okay. and these are all paper pieced right Foundation all, paper pieced. these are all paper pieced and they're all in the one book so magical and it's coming out in june and i think you can pre preview it right now on um, amazon they have pre-sales going on on amazon but i don't even have an actual copy of the book yet so i know it's not in actual print just yet and then the right. other book is coming out in fall it's called paper piecing all year round mm-hmm. and that is a combination of 12 different paper pieced blocks and there are two for each month, so I know I like to put out, you know, pillows each different holiday, yeah, each yeah. season. And so each a month has two blocks that would coordinate if you want to do like two pot holders or two pillows. They look cute together, but you don't have that's to right. do both if you don't want. And then there are two different themes for each month of the year.
0: Okay, gotcha. so that, okay,
1: that's coming out in fall. Awesome, awesome, I love it. Um,
0: I have never, I don't think. Use a paper piecing pattern out of a book, right? So I, I would normally either uh, design one in a quilt design software or mm-hmm. print one off. So I've already, say, you know, printed it. But when you get it in a book, do you then photocopy it? Like, how do you yes. take the
1: book or and make it? Just like make you it? would with a pattern, except with a book, you know, you have to kind of flatten the spine a little bit so you can get it as flat onto your printer as you can. And then the excess of the book just hangs out of the printer as you make that original that that that's a copy and then I would just make a copy of each one so you'd have them handy and you didn't have to monkey with the book each time and just keep them in a file and then you just grab them and you always want to make copies you never want to use your original of course right so um yeah
0: what kind of paper do you prefer to use because I've used a variety of you know foundation paper piecing paper just standard printer paper sort of whatever I have on hand what's your favorite
1: well um, of course, in the book, there are certain recommendations that I agree to because they um, <laughs> they, they have the paper Disney paper, for, yeah. and that was yep. one of their requests that we put that in the book. But actually, yeah. to be very truthful, I use the cheapest printer paper I can find. I get it by the case. Like I'll get a whole ream of it, you know, reams of oh, 10 reams in a box. Yeah. And I go through so much paper. I just want the cheapest I could get. And, and that generally is a little thinner too so it's easy to rip off you don't want to use anything thick and then um i have tried other papers i've tried um the wax paper method where you fold the wax paper over and you're actually not sewing through the wax paper you're just sewing next to it yeah i find that's nice if you are doing the same paper piece block repeated like 12 times in one quilt and you, you can then use that same wax paper pattern, maybe three or four times before it starts to break down to the point that you have to trace a new one. Unfortunate part there is it's not quite as accurate because you're, paint, you're, you're sewing along the side. And there were some other things that I wasn't that nuts about doing with it. So I've tried it, it's okay. It has its, its good things at certain times. And then I've also tried papers that um, I know there was one that I tried. It actually dissolved when you washed it the first time. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of those. And okay. that seemed to kind of clog into the seam lines. It didn't really wash really nicely. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't okay. very happy with that. The other thing is the cost. Any of those specialty papers, you're only going to get about maybe 24, 25 pieces in a pack. The pack might run about $10. Right. It's very expensive for me. I mean, I go through paper like crazy. So unfortunately, well, yeah, I can, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm killing some trees here, but I am coming out with a lot of nice designs.
0: Yeah. But, well, I mean, I feel like when you you're making them in the the quantity and the you know mm-hmm. you're making them so often, it's different than say I'm just going to make my one and only paper piece quilt of the year, exactly kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I have to say though, like I said, because I I do use regular printer paper. Most of the time, too, because it's like when I sit down to actually do a paper piecing project, I, I want to do it right now and I don't necessarily have that specialty paper on hand. Mm-hmm. But aside from, say, you know, making sure you're using that shortened stitch length, do you have any other tips for if someone's having issues using printer paper because they, you know, I don't know, are used to that thinner specialty paper?
1: Actually, the, the specialty paper isn't any thinner than a cheap you know, like you get a pack at Staples, just get the cheapest stuff they sell. It's not any thinner. Um, you really don't want your paper piece, paper too thin because then, you know, if you're pressing it, the paper can start to curl if it's too thin. It actually just a cheap printer paper is is what I think is the best. Even sometimes my, my um, iron will drip a little bit because I, I leave my steam setting mm-hmm. on. Some people don't, but I, I, mm-hmm. I do. And it'll drip a little bit. And then, you know, if your paper's too thin, your whole pattern is just going to kind of dissolve. Fall apart. Yeah. yeah. The only yep. thing is Absolutely. I have different companies that approach me about, you know, try this paper. I've created it. And my first question is, can I print on it? Will it go through my printer? Right. And they actually make stuff on a bolt. I said, that's useless to me. I have. To. You would spend so long tracing patterns. Right. And they they don't, they don't do the pattern, so they don't get it. So I explained to them, it's got to be printable or it's really useless to me and probably to many other people. Yeah.
0: Um, I I would say the the one on the bolt would be beneficial if you were someone who was drawing their own pattern and you intentionally were going to be drawing a pattern you knew was bigger than something you'd really be able to print. Yeah. You know,
1: large scale something. Which I have done because Mm -hmm. enlarging a pattern, if it's going to end up the full pattern going to end up bigger than, you know, a piece of printing paper. You are going to have to do some piecing in there to get your pattern together. You know, right. like if you're enlarging, you just have to enlarge it in sections and then tape together a master, and then you can yep. trace your pieces from there. And I've done that. And yes, that would be, that would work fine then to use yeah. that larger paper. Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. Um, well, so when you are designing a paper piecing pattern, and I mean, so If you're doing a specific dog or off of a picture, you have the color of that dog. Do you normally try to do, say, solid fabrics that replicate sort of what you're trying to create, or do you use prints, or what is your fabric selection process?
1: I do a little bit of everything. Generally, for the pattern, you want a really nice, clear, crisp photo, so I don't get too crazy on my fabric selection. But I've had customers who then make the same pattern and they go wonkers on their fabrics. And it's so fun and so cute. Mm -hmm. But for my pattern photo, I like it to be pretty traditional because you never know what your customer, you know, where they're coming from. I use um, a lot of things that have texture in but not necessarily real bold print. But they will be like basics that have textures to them. Um, I go through lots of neutral colors like grays and browns and tans. And then, you know, background, just the biggest thing is getting a good contrast. So if you have an ear that you want to show up and it's touching part of the face, you really need a decent contrast in there between colors or it's going to get lost. Right. That's what I try to look for when I'm picking my fabrics. And I suggest my customers do the same. Perfect.
0: Now, I think a lot of people associate foundation paper piecing with Um, perfection or precision all these really intricate points and things like that what do you do you agree with that or do you
1: have a different thought on paper piecing well my whole my whole approach is the artist from the artistic angle I am really not concerned at all with precision I do like you know my patterns to of course match up well when you're putting your segments together that's that goes without saying, it has to be a pattern that works and the pieces fit. But for me, I'm approaching it as an artist. I sketch everything. Um, I don't have any like QE on my computer. I do everything from a sketch, and then I manipulate it from there to design, to create my designs. So part of it is more... I've drawn something. I want to see what it looks like in fabric as soon as I possibly can. And that's my drive. And so I want to get on to, get it done and get on to the next design. That's my whole fun is creating the designs. I don't really care if an ear is a little wonky or you know, the, something's a little lopsided. I actually kind of like that because it gives my designs a little more whimsy. So yeah. Yeah. It, does, it does lend itself to a lot of precision. That's not my concern, though. Right. Perfect.
0: Well, so then what would be sort of some tips to give to somebody, whether they're just getting into maybe quilting in general or wanting to try out foundation paper piecing, but maybe have always thought that it was this super precise, intimidating
1: well, art that they couldn't do. What would you say to them? I would say it's like sewing backwards. Um, you have to consider the butterfly effect, I call it. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Once you get into it, you're into it and you will get hooked. It's just getting past typical sewing rules. And, and actually, when you're laying your piece, your pattern down on your fabric, you bend the the piece that you're going to be doing over, and you lay it in place. And and you just look where your fabric is falling. If it covers the piece when it's bent back, it's going mm-hmm. to cover it when you flip it into place when after you sew it. So it's hard to explain if I can't show you visually, but it's, it's just basically um, don't sweat the small stuff. You're going to get the hang of it. Watch tutorials online, especially if you, Mm -hmm. even if you know what you're doing and you haven't done it for a little while, just quick, watch the first few steps of a tutorial. It'll get you right back into it. One thing I do always is I always leave the paper on the back of my block until I have my sashing in place or the blocks are actually sewn into the project because you're using your scraps in all different directions with all different um, grains going in all different directions and that way nothing will stretch and you'll get it all sewn together and you don't have to worry about you know stay stitching anything because your paper is there kind of like an interfacing until you're done then I rip it off. No, if you're doing a pod holder, of course, you're not adding sashing, then, you know, you just rip it off and you're done. But for a bigger project.
0: For me, me, when I'm doing them, I always, I actually do take the paper off before I put my blocks together because I don't want that little quarter inch strip of paper that I have to try and pick away. Oh, it rips off so easy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to cut corners here. That was like, for me, it seemed easier. But I have to say, that is one thing. So I think... Um, people that have done foundation paper piecing like they either like tearing off the paper or they really hate tearing off the paper and for me I really like that part it's kind of relaxing it kind of signifies you're almost done with the project so you. tearing off the paper is it's, is my favorite part
1: mine too and you can sit and watch a football game and just have that yes. on your lap and rip away and have the garbage can right there it's mm-hmm. it, to me it brings back memories of ripping those paper doll patterns out of the old McCall magazines. This is for, way before your time, I'm sure, Ashley. But years ago, they used to every <laughs> magazine, they'd have these little paper dolls with the paper clothes and you'd rip it all out. Oh man, I love doing that.
0: But, See, I, okay. You're right. I don't, I've never heard of that. So I'm not, right. I'm not aware of that. But my memory of it was when, when I was really little and my parents, would, um, they had like an old, like an old checkbook or something that they, I don't know, switch banks or whatever. But like, I got to tear out the, the little, the play checks, you know, and I just like the sound of tearing out the paper, but
1: and uh, one thing to remember when you are ripping those skinny little seam pieces, paper rips better in one direction than the other. And you've got to know what direction it's ripping cleanly in. And you just give it a little Uh hold and it'll rip right off. If you're ripping it and you're getting all little shreds left behind, you're ripping it the wrong direction. Just go the other way. Really? I know that from being an art teacher.
0: Now I'm going to have to like pay more attention the next time I rip paper because I did not know that I'm going to do that now. But no, I definitely, definitely agree with the, you know, sitting ripping off paper. Plus I have um, a three-year-old now and I'm hoping pretty soon that that can be what he helps me with too. That's what my, when
1: my daughter lived with me, she would love to do that for me. She'd sit there and rip all the paper off at the end. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like binding a quilt. Some people love it and some people hate it. And I love it because you can sit there and you're thinking I'm almost done. That's true.
0: I enjoy tearing paper more than I enjoy binding a quilt. I will admit that. So not quite there to that one yet. Um, but so uh another sort of tip question, but uh maybe even not necessarily related to designing a paper piecing pattern or doing the piecing, um, but just a good quilting tip that you have learned over the years that you would pass on to someone just getting into quilting.
1: Oh, just for quilting.
0: Or for or for designing, or if there's something that, you know, if, if someone is thinking, you know, I think it
1: would be fun to create my own paper piecing yeah, okay. pattern. Well, that's um if you're creating a paper pieced pattern, now this is really technical though. A lot of people say, Well, how do you go about figuring out the pieces and the segments in it? Um, I always tell them you have to have one at least one main axis. And this would be in a more difficult pattern. Like if you've got a pattern that's got maybe five pieces in it, it's you might need, um, you know, you have to put the pieces together. It's, it's not all done in one block. It's not a simple one. It's more of a combination one. So you have to have one, um, at least one axis that will go one line that will go all the way across the block somewhere. It doesn't matter if it's vertically horizontally, it doesn't matter if it's on a diagonal, but one block, one line has to go all the way across so that you can get those pieces back together again. And that's that's really what I think of first. Where is my main axis going to be? And it depends on the, on the shape of the creature you're doing. Right. Right. So then, so then once, once you, get that, you get that, once you get your main line, line
0: do you, how, do you how do you plan out, out the, rest the rest of them?
1: I, I start with my – I like to do thumbnail sketches. I'll sketch like three by three. And when I get a sketch I like, I then um, – I do all my planning right on that three by three, three sketch because it's easy to change and it's small. So I'll take my ruler and I'll line, I'll find my main axis and then I'll, um, line up different parts of the design. Like I'll look at, okay, does this, the side of the ear, will that line up with anything else in the drawing? And if it doesn't, sometimes I can make it. So it will, because it's my sketch, I can make the body bigger or skinnier so that it will line up easier. That way I can eliminate as many segments as possible to make it as easy to do as possible because you you don't want to have, you know, like part S and T, because I always put alphabet (laughs) letters on my segment. Yeah. Once I get up to like K on a pattern, I'm thinking this is going to be really a lot of pieces. Let's see what I can eliminate. And then I go back and simplify a little bit and just try to get things to line up so that this seam now will not only create the edge of this ear, but it also is going to create the edge of his collar at the same time. So I look at things like that.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, do you ever find that you look at, say, another another paper piecing pattern, one that maybe you didn't design, and you see either a different or easier way or easier order to assemble things in than what is suggested? And is that okay?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you you sew so the way it works for you. Uh, yes, I do see that. I also go back to patterns I created seven years ago. And I possibly would number them totally different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just you're looking at it with fresh, a fresh pair of eyes. It's just like doing your own editing. It's the hardest thing to edit your own work. You have to get away from it. Because you've already looked at it for so long. Yes. You just have to get away from it and then come back with a fresh pair of eyes and things will look Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. But that is
0: a great thing about it too, that I'm not going to call it making a mistake, but if you accidentally maybe do a piece or two out of order, it it may not be detrimental. It might be just fine.
1: That's true. Depending on how the pieces are situated in the pattern, it may not matter at all. But I have gotten done with a complete block and noticed right smack dab in the middle, I missed a piece. (laughs) And if it's in the center, it is a whale of a job getting it back in and sometimes it's better to just start over if
0: it's close, I was gonna say I would probably just like applique it on yeah. somehow you know <laughs> once
1: I even took a marker because the piece was black and I just blacked it in yeah. just for the photo but um, there you go if it's a if it's close to the edge you can usually uh, get it fixed you can jerry-rig it in there you just have to mm-hmm. take a few seams out but remember you got sometimes the only way you can do it is to take the paper off and then fix it Yeah, And then you've got no pattern to work with, but you're kind of, you know, jerry-rigging it in there. But that paper being in the way at that point, if it's in the middle, can be a problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, so when you're not designing your own patterns or working on your patterns, what what are you making? What are you making for you for fun or what are you currently working on?
1: Well, I not only... So, but I also love to knit and crochet and I'm always working on like somebody's Christmas gifts. Right now, I've just gotten real heavy back into granny squares, which were popular back in the 60s. <laughs> and now they're kind of making mm-hmm. a bohemian comeback. So I've yeah. been do- doing all these bohemian granny square bags for um, friends. Um, I've been sewing a lot, a lot, a lot of face masks right now. Yep. For yep. Virus. Mm-hmm. Um, donating those to friends friends and family and neighbors. And um, I'm always doing something for, you know, my house. Um, it's usually done with my designs though. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do clothes sometimes. I like to design crazy things out of flannel shirts or yeah. repurpose <laughs> okay. clothes. I like to redo furniture. What What's an example of a, something crazy out of a flannel shirt? Well, um, I have a flannel shirt that I took. The back off of it and i put on a uh, like a scarf it was kind of a lacy uh-huh. scarf so the back is now it's longer and back like a tunic um, uh-huh. and then i did something crazy on the sleeve with some lace to kind of match it uh, gotcha okay stuff like that okay
0: just nice i like it do you ever incorporate your paper piecing into clothing yes
1: Yes, I have a couple outfits that are my go-to outfits to wear when I do lectures because I do a lot of lectures for quilt guilds and I do workshops. So I took a a tunic that had a bodice part and I cut the bodice out of muslin, but you have to make it a little oversized because when you like paper piece over it, it's going to shrink a little bit. And then I just used all a bunch of warm colored scraps so they'd all look good together. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of crazy paper pieced it like crazy quilting. You get that effect. And then I cut my bodice piece out of that paper piecing. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think if I ever did anything. Oh, I've done kids clothes where I'll do like a pocket on a skirt and it's a little watermelon, paper pieced watermelon. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cute. I like it. I like how you can take something like a a paper piece block and it doesn't have to be in a quilt. I think when you think of some other, maybe more traditional blocks, you think, okay, the only thing I can really do with this is a quilt or some sort of quilting related project. But sometimes I think paper piecing because of the fun you can have with the designs can be a little bit more versatile in terms of, what you use it on. Yeah,
1: I like that. I love it. It's like applique in that way. You can do any yeah. any image, but yet it's actually quilted right in. I mean, it's sold right into your project, which I love that.
0: Yeah, I love it too. Awesome. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me and telling us all about some, you know, fun paper piecing tips and your books coming out and all of your amazing fun patterns. And of course, we're going to post a little bio about you with some links too. So if people are interested in looking at your 300 some odd (laughs) patterns that you have, um, or, you know, want to make a special request of their own, um, they can do that. So we'll make sure and have that information. But thank you so much for, for chatting with me. That sounds wonderful, Ashley.
1: Thank you for having me.